Welcome to Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm Sam Dunning, a digital marketing, sales, and business growth evangelist. Tune in and subscribe today as I'll be interviewing business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. You'll be learning their story, how digital marketing has helped them along the way, and exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your own business. Welcome back to the show. I'm pleased, I'm excited, and I'm truly honored to have Daryl Prell on the show today, ladies and gentlemen. Daryl Prell is currently the Chief Marketing Officer at VanillaSoft. He's an expert and award-winning marketer. Daryl's raised almost $100 million in venture capital. He's acquired, merged, taken the companies public. He's been hired and he's been fired, and he's worked for companies both small and large. Um, he's a B2B software as a service pro. He's one of the top 19 B2B marketers to watch back in 2019. Plus, he puts out tons of hugely valuable and awesome content on LinkedIn. Um, he often makes me laugh with his interviews of various sales and marketing professionals. So, uh, Daryl, how's it going, my friend? It is going well, my friend. How about you? How's it going with you? Not too bad at all. Not too bad at all. Good to have you on. Um, so, we've got a lot I want to cover today, Daryl. Okay. Um, Myself and the audience, as, as always, we, we kind of want to know your background, your story, kind of starting from where you grew up, how you got into the business world from leaving school or leaving college. So if you could guide us kind of what, what the events were up until the present day, if you can, can you start. Oh my, how much time you got? I'm an old guy, man. This is going to be a long <laughs> Let's keep it time. with an hour if we can. <laughs> Within an hour, there we go. Uh, I grew up, uh, I'm Canadian, so you'll hear the out and about often occasionally. I grew up on the USA-Canadian uh, border of Windsor and Detroit. So uh, that was pre-internet, all right, and, pre and just around the time cable television kind of started hitting. So most of my upbringing was me listening as a Canadian to Detroit television and Detroit radio over the air. And, uh, and that was my upbringing. So then when I went to school in Toronto, Canada, uh, it, was, it was the weirdest thing because my fellow Canadians, they spoke funny, they had bad TV, and their music sucked. <laughs> but apparently what it was, was I was just an American in a Canadian body. And I, got, I actually learned what being Canadian really meant at that point in time. Um, my education is, uh, believe it or not, I am a computer programmer. And did oh, that wow. for several years. Yes. Did not know yes. that. Yes. I know. It, it seems so natural when you listen to me prattle on now about stuff on video. But I'm a computer programmer and yeah. uh, did that for uh, four plus years. And, you know, life is a wonderful thing. As we kick our career off, we, we fundamentally start to figure out what we want to do in life. Now, here's the catch all. Uh, before I started programming professionally, so I finished school. Yep. And then I, sa I said, I'm tired of programming. And I went okay. into my first job ever, which was selling photocopiers door to door. Ooh. So, yes. That so my, tough. It was tough. My very, very first job selling photocopiers door to door, uh, walking up to the local mechanic covered in grease and saying, <laughs> hey, mister, do you want to buy this kick-ass photocopier? Let me tell you about the drum life on it. So that was when I realized after six months of starving that I should go back to coding and I did that for four <laughs> years. Uh, but there, there you go. Life has a funny way of bringing itself back. I got bored of coding, and I started to figure out what, what more is logical for me. So I took a job as a sales engineer. So boom, back into sales. Okay. And, uh, and my job then was to do, make, make the software, do all the whiz-bang things that the sales reps needed the prospect to see as a proof of concept, et cetera. So that's what I did. 
that then led to a promotion to saying, hey, dude, you understand how the product works? You understand how to message? You, you should be part of the product roadmap. You, so they made me a product manager. And we did that for a period of time. And they said, hey, dude, you're doing a great job there. And, and you understand a little bit how to sell. You should be a product marketer, bringing it to market. So I, I did that for a little bit there. And, uh, and I did this. Uh, in, uh, this all took place when we were, we had, my wife and I had moved to the States for the sales engineer job. So we were out of country. And okay. then uh, lo, lo and behold, first child came along. We decided that we would have the child back in Canada. And then I went back to Canada, and that's when I got my first marketing gig. Good. And, uh, and since then, it's been a series. I did marketing for a while, then I got back into sales, and eventually was a VP of sales. Then I got back into marketing, and I've been a VP of marketing and CMO multiple times. Marketing is my gig. I love sales. I love revenue. But, uh, you know, the, the beauty about marketing is that I can do almost everything the sales reps do without the responsibility of a quota. And so... <laughs> Aha. So that's why I do marketing. The life, the, the life or death of every salesperson. So, um, all right, Daryl. So that, that we've just gone through, that was over the space of how many years? Oh my goodness. Uh, so you, you had a sales uh, job uh, you did for a little yeah, while. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was over the course of maybe five or six years. Uh, really? Okay. Cause the coding for first four years and then I, and then it went bing, bing, boom. So yeah, by, cause I kind of started in around the early nineties and by the 97 time frame, I was full fledged marketer, um, for the sixth largest software company in the world. I ran their number one product line. Nice. Um, so I got, I got really exposed to a lot of great stuff going on at the time. And that was the, the that was the lead into the dot com boom, which was okay. quite an experience. And then, and then True story. Uh, I mentioned we'd moved back to Canada to have our, our kids, and then we had them. And then an opportunity came to be in Los Angeles, as, as so we went to LA, uh, and that was in 2001, I want to say. And I started life there with 24 staff as the VP of marketing, and then the market totally dropped. And I left there four years later, and when I left, I had one person in the marketing team, one in myself. So I had two total. Counting me, I had two. From 25 in total to two in total. And my big feat was I was actually able to survive the dot-com crash and keep my job. We actually even raised $15 million US and VC funding at the time. So, and I've been at the high of the high and the crazy of the crazy and the low of the low. Uh, I've seen the transition from, you know, software that you paid for as a license that you you lived off the maintenance fees to the the whole, you know, I saw the very beginning of software as a service as we were trying to figure it all out, what the hell that meant to now, how would you ever buy software if it wasn't a SaaS product? So it's been a fun ride and, uh, and I've pulled on all of those experiences to do what I do today. Awesome, man. So um, it sounds like you've done a bit of everything over the years. Uh, you've, you kind of did, did a little bit of sales for six months or so, selling door to door which is extremely hard. I don't think I've ever done it. I mean, I've done close. I've done kind of working call centers. I've done kind of selling stuff face to face. I've done all sorts, but never quite door to door. So I guess that was quite a grind. And it, it sounds like it put you off sales for almost for life, did it? Well, did it, put me, it, put, it did put me off sales for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and, and what I realized was the door to door thing was hard. But you know what, you know, with, with as, as I went along and got back into sales and eventually became a VP of sales, what the door to door thing taught me was hold the importance of, of, of that opening line. You know, I've got okay. you, whether you answer the phone or you answered the door, what is that opening line? What I'm going to say in that first 10, 20, 30, 60 seconds to continue the conversation. The other thing it taught me 
was the power of your mindset, right? So when I was younger, that first door-to-door job, the rejection I got was just sucking the life out of me. But as I got a little bit older and got back into sales, a little more mature, a little more comfortable with myself and who I was, then I was able to say, listen, they're not rejecting me, they're rejecting this product. Oh, that's cool. That's something personal. Um, so it was the mindset. The big shift there is what dramatically made sales a lot more fun again. But yeah, the first time, it wasn't fun. Nice. Okay, so you went back to coding for a bit. And what were you coding, Daryl? What, what kind of uh, stuff were you doing there? Oh my God, I was doing a lot of fourth generation, for gl database stuff. So my background really is in database. In those days, you know, we didn't have a UX expert. We didn't have the same you know, specialty and expertise that we have today in, in, in the coding world. So you tended to be, uh, you know, a one-stop shop, right? So I would go and I would do the product management. I'd do the consulting with the clients, what they wanted for the product. I would spec it out. I would build it. I would do the UI. I would do the back end. I would do all the coding. I would do all the algorithms. I would do all the mathematics, put it all together. I would ship it. I would deliver it. I was everything because that's the way it was back then. Whereas now it's very much, it's very different. It's a very different beast. And it's a better beast today the way it is with the expertise because you can really own the one area. But that, but that was what got me that job as well, that first marketing job, uh, because it was the sixth largest software company. They were a database company. I was working for a company called Sybase. Sybase okay. at the time was competing with Oracle. Um, they're now owned by SAP. And so I was able to use my technology background and my database expertise to go and market the value props and why a prospect should care about this product, which then got me back on so many of the sales calls because I was the in-house product expert at the same time. So they often in that time when a, a, a big deal was going down, it'd be a six or seven figure deal. They'd always want to meet with the subject matter expert who owned the roadmap to understand where you're going. And, and, I, and I, I did that role as well. Okay. And this was in the States and then you moved back to Canada, you said? Is that yes. Right? I've gone back and forth several times if you, as you've noticed. But yeah, that <laughs> was that part that when, I was at the, when I was at Sybase, it actually began in Canada because they had acquired a small little tech startup that I was part of, a company called Watcom. It was a spinoff of the University of Waterloo. The University of Waterloo is like Canada's MIT, if you will. Okay. And, uh, and then, of course, the parent company was in Emeryville, California at the time. So boom, back to the States, I went again. So I had this little back and forth across the border multiple times but now i am firmly in canada <laughs> until the next best offer comes along there you have nice it. nice man so okay so you kind of what what spurred you from the the coding side of things into the marketing side of things of business what was that oh, kind of transition yeah you yeah, know a great question it really simple i i got bored so okay. a, a coder looks at a screen if you will eight hours a day not counting when they get up and walk around but it's eight hours a day sure. and for me I, you know, I like to multitask. I'm like, I'll do this for a little bit and that for about a little bit and that for a little bit. So I was finding it as, as I aged more and more difficult to focus for four hours or six hours or eight hours at a time. It was, I needed the variety. And that's why I loved sales and I loved marketing because there was the variety, right? You know, think about today. I'll do a little social. I'll do a little phone. I'll do a little email, right? And then I'm going to go and link, you know, I'll go update a post, write a piece of content on LinkedIn. I'll shoot a video back to the phone. I go again, you know, that variety, I'm talking to somebody, I'm writing up a proposal. That's what I personally needed. The coding thing I couldn't do today if it's, you know, to save my life because of the, the, the intense focus it requires. No, and I know exactly what you mean. This attention span, I think it's, uh, yes. I, I can't speak for every sales professional or business professional, but I think attention span, especially from people I've worked with, has always been pretty short, especially in, in the sales arena. 
So uh, it, it's true. It's true. And recognizing that is huge. I had nobody saying to me, well, sir, your problem is you have no attention span. You suck now. Um, so I had to figure that out. Um, but that's, what, you know, that's, that's that little life journey thing. So I figured it out. Cool, man. Okay. So you came back to Canada and then you, did you say you were doing some sales jobs in between and various marketing jobs? Cause you said you were VP of sales. I did. Yeah. So again, cause everything was high tech in the end. Right. So, uh, what, and in both cases where I was uh, doing sales, I, I, I went over as a, as, as a marketing guy and then, uh, and then there was a need for sales. So then I hopped on the phones and I, and I started doing sales and then they're like, okay, well then, you know, why don't you run the team? And before you know, you're running, you know, 20 guys and you're VP of sales and marketing. So, <laughs> Uh, that happened twice. Uh, so I had a quota and like everybody else did. And I had my activity metrics I had to, had to measure. But then as well, I still had marketing I had to do too. So I had a marketing team to manage in both okay. of those cases. And, uh, and it was and a lot of fun. Yeah, man. And what, what kind of time period was this? Was this still in the night? Was it in the 2000s? Or? Yeah. So the first time would have been 2004 time frame 2005 and then again 2007 2008 time frame so in terms of kind of hitting your quota or hitting targets as a business back then i guess it was completely different in the techniques you do was it kind of mostly selling on the phone or because there wasn't too much email or no 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 (laughs) i'm old i'm not okay um (laughs) You know, email's been around since the very beginning. Uh, so that, uh, lots of phone, lots of email. And in fact, in some ways, it was the wild, wild west, right? Because we didn't have the same, you know, anti-spam laws that you have available today. We didn't have the privacy laws that you had available today. So <laughs> we, would do, we would do phone. We would do email. We didn't have the construct of a playbook or a cadence or a sequence, but we did know that it was, you know, X number of engagements. The thing we did differently is we would do a ton of faxing in those days, right? So it's an, oh, but right. really, it's just, a, it's just another way of getting in front of them. So, because what would happen is there was always the fax machine in the middle of the office. And if someone got a fax, somebody would physically walk it to the recipient. So if I wanted to get in front of the, the VP of sales, the VP of marketing at my target account, faxing them after calling them and emailing them was just one more touch. Nice. And then the other thing we did, we did a lot of, was we did a lot of direct mail, a lot of multidimensional mail. So it wasn't just sending a postcard. It would be sending, you know, what we do today with, with clients like Sendoso or, or PFL or Alice, where you're saying, I want to send a coffee cup or I want to send a personalized piece of, 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 of kit to that individual with a custom note. Well, that's what we did. There just wasn't a third-party service to do it. So that part of selling, the only thing that's really changed is, is the, is social is much more prominent now than it was back then and then you have because of the pure bandwidth capabilities of the internet and how it's matured and broadband has matured you know uh, video is like through the roof i remember the first time it would have been 95 when i was working with what eventually became Sybase. I was still that small little startup company that spit up called Watcom. And this product came out called Pointcast. And Pointcast was able to give you all these news flash updates and stock updates. And of course, we were watching our stock because we were traded. And so every employee in the company, 40 of us in the company had Pointcast running. And they actually had to come and have us stop doing that because it just took the, band- the internet down to a crawl because we didn't have the bandwidth in those days. So now I walk around the office and literally everybody's got uh, YouTube running all day long, plus they're doing video meetings, plus they're running streaming podcasts. So it's a different world than what we live in now. But from your point of view, uh, the same multiple touch, it was phone, it was email, it was fax, it was direct mail. 
that's what we got did in those days. And we'll, we'll, that's great, Daryl. And we'll touch on that more because um, on this show, myself and the audience love to hear about kind of what digital marketing channels you recommend to really yep. help businesses grow. And going back to that fax message, I love the fact that when the fax was printed out, it was literally handed to that decision maker, whoever it may be, and your message got loud and clear straight through to them because they couldn't miss it. It was handed in front of them. Which is well, not- in fact... Yeah, it was twofold. So there's the facts, but then here's the power of the multidimensional mailer as well. So normally, you know, we get a letter, an envelope, whatever, then the gatekeeper often or this, you know, whoever's on the administrative, whoever's running the offices will sift through that stuff and they'll go, oh no, garbage keep, garbage keep, garbage keep. And you may never get half the email, but the multidimensional mailer, I remember being very specific saying, I'm going to send, what can I send that sits in the six by six by six inch box, a cube? Because then that's not an envelope. And the exact same thing would happen. Whoever was on reception, whoever was the gatekeeper, would get this box addressed to so-and-so. And they would walk it over there. And it's like, what's in the box? I wonder. And it was great because every time it would be something from us. So you're right. It was always about how do I get to the actual person I want to get in front of. And it's one more touch, one more impression. Awesome. Okay. So, um, yeah, we've kind of covered a, a range of jobs you've had up, up until then, Daryl. What was the, the kind of gap in between there and then eventually moving on to Vanilla Soft? Talk us through kind of what happened in between. Yeah. So basically then around 2009, I guess it was, I started at my own uh, marketing agency. Uh, oh, wow. I got, yeah. So I, I said, uh, I worked for everybody else for all these years and now I'm going to work for myself. And, and that's what I did up until 2017. So it was like eight years. Um, and you know, I was engaged by people like SAP, Salesforce, Nielsen, you know, the, the list went on and nice. I got to speak at all lots of events and I got to have lots of cool customers. I grew a lot in those days because what's interesting is whether we're in sales or marketing, what we don't understand perhaps very, very well is, is the actual bits and bobs that go into running a company. So what I learned to do was how to actually be a profitable company on my own because it was my company, right? So that meant stupid things like I had to learn how to enforce language in a contract. I didn't just pass that off to the GM or, or to legal counsel. I had to do that, right? Listen, you said sure. you're going to pay me and you've not paid me or else I would learn to make sure that my statement of works were very thorough so I was protected, right? So listen, I will do three edits on this one piece and I'll get one hour each of edits. And after that, it's 200 bucks an hour. And if you don't like that, then, you know, there you go. But they would sign off on it, right? And then I learned how to fire customers. The best lesson I can teach entrepreneurs is you have to learn how to fire customers. Because in the end, you're, as, a, as an agency especially, it's really just about your time. So if they're sucking the life out of you, then you're losing money on that account. You got to fire them. And then you learn how to make sure you get people who really want your time, but you can look at them, you go, oh man, this is going to be a, a very meaty, high maintenance account. I don't want this account unless I jack my price way up so that in anticipation of all the life they're going to suck out of me, I'll still make money. So none of that has to do with sales and selling or marketing and, and, and whatnot, but it's running a business. That's it. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's, that's some great points to raise though. Um, kind of jumping in there at the deep end, learning, you got learning, it. learning at the front end, right um, at the front end. That's it, my friend. So yeah, in terms of you, you've raised some good points there talking about kind of firing customers. And obviously if, if you think a customer is going to be a problem client, jack up your prices because your time's going to be sucked right in. Um, now, are there any ways to actually be wary of potential problem customers or any early signs that 
business owners or people in business should look out for? Yes. Yeah, so a couple of things, right? Yeah, it is a tricky one. And there's a zillion signs out there <laughs> what to look for. Uh, some of the things I learned over the years was uh, a couple of things. If there wasn't a defined primary point of contact, then that meant the project was going to go to every Tom, Dick and Harry at the company. All right. And that meant everybody would have an opinion. If I didn't define how many edits or rounds or reviews they had, then that meant that everybody was going to have a say. And we have to understand about that is, is that they're actually going to look for reasons to find something that's wrong with your work. So I'll give you an example. We'll use video. We're talking about videos really important these days. Let's say they engaged me to make a video. And I did a video and I made the world's best video. It was the world's best freaking video. Yay, video. <laughs> and I gave it to them. And I knew it was a kick-ass video and I'd gone above and beyond and they got great value for their money. And I say that as a former at the time, you know, head of marketing or head of sales. I, I, I get it. You asked for X and I gave, I gave you an Academy Award mini piece. There's always going to be somebody somewhere who's going to nitpick it because they got to feel like that's their job. Their job is to, cause you know, you're a paid contractor, right? So what you learn to do in some of those things, whether it's a blog piece, a video, a social post, whatever you learn to, when you get it to about 80% and then you leave a little gremlin in there somewhere intentionally. This sounds really bad, but that's what you do. Like a little blip. And then you sit with them and say, we're almost done. Any final reviews? Oh my gosh, there's a gremlin. Get rid of the gremlin. Good call. Boom. Gremlin's gone. Do you like it? Oh, I love it. Thank you very much. So you, you learn that some of these people are going to have, they're going to give you feedback for the sake of feedback. So you, you, when you're looking at lessons learned, you go, do they have a clear understanding of what they want? If they don't, you're in trouble. Do they value time, your time and, and what it costs? If they don't, you're in trouble, right? Do they know how to measure you or how you're going to measure their responsiveness? If they don't, you're in trouble, right? Uh, are they treating you as a, a uh, how to put it this way, a commodity? In other words, oh, you, you made a video. Well, there's a thousand video people out there. You know, I'll just get rid of you and get somebody else if I don't like you. If, if, if you can see that and discern that before the contract is, is done, they're going to be trouble. And in each of those cases, you make sure there's language in your contract or you, that you set expectations. Otherwise, you're going to lose money in the account. So those are a lot of lessons learned that nice. if, you're, if, you, if you don't anticipate what's going to go wrong, you're going to be screwed. Yeah, and I would agree. Foresight is a really, a really useful thing to have in business. And I, I get, it truly, get it from truly, And then get it, always get the, the, the finance content up front. Who's going to pay the bills, right? Always, 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 always because then you want to establish a relationship with them so they expedite payment for you. Because you, when we say expedite payment, they've already waited 90 days and they're trying to see how much longer they can draw you out. So, okay, fine, we're going to pay you after 90 days. That's expedited payment. So, because you need to have cash flow and that's what you need to understand at the end of the day. Exactly, cash is king. So, these are some really good tips, though, especially for startup businesses that might not have been in this neck of the woods before in terms of kind of drafting up contracts and agreements for any work you're doing, uh, making sure you're actually speaking to the people that one make decisions and two actually can finance what the work you're going to be doing and I especially love that point you've made about the gremlin so if you know that during the course of the work that you're doing they're going to nitpick the the project out leave a little gremlin in there and uh, you know, you already know it's coming so you, they'll, they'll say it's there and you can fix it i love that yeah yeah you awesome. just, you, you're just anticipating nice okay so um yeah so you ran this company for for a good few years really what were the kind of highs and lows of that daryl 
So the low, let's start with the lows. The lows are when you're, especially when you're young uh, in, in the business life is you get certain anchor clients, which are great. And then you get more clients, which are the gravy. And then when you lose a client, you, you have that immediate, it's like a sales guy who, or sales rep who missed their number or they had a deal and they'd already, you know, in their mind spent the commission and then the deal went south and you lost it. It's the same thing when you have your own business where when you lose a client, you start to panic and that yep. stress it comes across in your demeanor and your family sees it because you're thinking to yourself, I got bills to pay. I got, you know, rent. I got employees. I've got overhead. Uh, and that means often that you don't get paid because you're paying those other bills. But then the high was a couple of things. One is you started to learn over time. I tell people it takes about three years. You start to realize that, you know what? It's okay. When a client goes for whatever reason, they may love you. They just, the project came to an end. Um, there's always going to be another client. You just got to have faith uh, because if you do good work, uh, people will be happy to talk about you. Word of mouth still, no matter what you do, word of mouth is still number one when it comes to generating business. Um, and it, and uh, then that's, that's a big yeah, thing. No, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. We'll come back to that <laughs> because it always is. Um, and then the other high was just, you know, watching the impact you make. So I'll give you an example. I had uh, a, a client. They were a large accountancy firm. They had like 16 offices, right? They were a big firm in Canada. And, and they wanted to compete with the big boys. They wanted to compete with the top four. And they came to me and they said, what can we do? And so we had this whole conversation about, you know, you sucked on social, you have no content, your website sucks, you look like an accountant. You know, you got to have some ads, you got some personality, you got some resources, you got a target, da 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 And he's like, really? And then I remember being with the managing director, so the CEO, saying, okay, so tell me a big deal you just, you just bought. Uh, you just got, oh, so-and-so just came to me and we got that big deal. Great. How'd you get it? Well, you know, we hang out in social circles. And so uh, he was referred to my name by somebody else in our circle. And that's how we got it. And I said to him, I said, no, that's not how you got it. He said, well, what do you mean? It's not how I got it. I know how I got it. Let me tell you what really happened. Yes. He got your name. Remember word of mouth referral. Number one, <laughs> he got your name that way. I said, but then he went to your website. Then he checked you out on LinkedIn. Then he called up some of your customers. And then he looked at your content. And then he consulted with his staff and said, what do you know about these guys? And they went and talked to their peers. And then they all came back and they said, yes, they, we should sign up with them. We, we think we trust them. I said, that's what happened. He was like, oh, I don't know. Fast <laughs> forward, a, fast, and he'd never been on, on LinkedIn. Fast forward a year, you know, now he's the star of all these podcasts and webinars. He's the, center, he's the centerpiece of the company. Deals left, right, and center. Very segmented programs, lots of content. And he comes to me and talks about his buddy. And he says to me, he goes, he's not even on LinkedIn. Like, what's his <laughs> problem? And I'm like, uh-huh, you got it. You got it. You know, so the highs are when you can show people, you can coach them and train them on how modern selling is done, how there's influences, how there's you know, it's lots of different ways that people are going to try to reduce risk or validate their decision making. It's not just a sales rep one-on-one -on -one conversation. Selling starts before you ever talk to them. And if you talk to them right, then the sales cycle is fast and expeditious and never your cost of sell is low. But if you don't do that, then your cost of sale is high and your predictability is variable. So it's all about teaching these clients the, the real tricks behind marketing, the power of marketing, and how it's not an expense, but in fact, it's an investment. When people got their head around that, it, it changed their world. And it was fun to be part of that. 
No, and that's that's a really good point again, Dale. When you've when you've said kind of this this guy, this director, this CEO that you were talking to, he said, "Look, we we got this piece of work because it was a direct referral. It was a recommendation. It was word of mouth." And you've talked him through. Well, it may have been a word of mouth, but he's gone onto your website. He's spoken to some of your customers. He's reading this content. So all this kind of content was consumed before they actually got in touch with him. It became an appointment, whatever, com- converted into a sale. So that's that's some great points. Now. Going back to your um, referral as the number one way to, to gain new business, um, what, what, what kind of specifically makes you say that? Is it because of that example or is it just because in your experience that's, that's been the best? Because I mean, there's so many channels to get work. Um, is it because it's free to get referral rather than you're pay- not paying for kind of other channels? Referral is the cheapest, most affordable, most easy thing to implement ah. to get business. It's, it's number one, right? Because think about them. We're all human right? and we're all wired the same way when it comes to this. When we're buying something, what do we do? We either go online, go to our good friend Google, um, or we go and talk to our friends, our colleagues, our trusted advisors that we, whom we let into our, our inner circle, our life. Right, and we'll say, "Hey, I'm thinking of buying this." All right, what do you think? Have you bought that? Who did you buy? Why did you buy them? Right? Um, there's all this, and then we go to Google, right? And we we look for it, and we shortlist it, right? So word of mouth may not be from somebody you know. It may not be from my brother-in-law saying, "Hey, Daryl, you got to go buy this great kick-ass, you know, speaker." It could be me going online and and, and reading an, uh, a review that a journalist wrote and said, "I recommend this speaker." as the sure. best speaker ever, right? So all of that is word of mouth. And then think about it. If we have, well, I'm between speaker A and speaker B. Well, what do I do? I go down to reviews, social proof. And I'm looking at what's their feedback. A complete strangers whom I've never met who were bitching and moaning because the packaging was ripped when it arrived from the Amazon courier and damn it, I'm not happy. All right. So we're filtering out all the, and get, get to the substance of the reviews. All of that is word of mouth. A reviewer saying, I love this feature. I looked, I shortlisted three products. This is why I got this product here. I chose product B. It's my brother-in-law. It's my boss. It's my coworkers. All of that is word of mouth. It's not me talking to a sales rep. It's not me clicking on a pay-per-click ad. It's not me going to a trade show. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. And I, I like the fact that exactly as you say, a referral is generally kind of a, a free or to a certain extent free. I mean, if, if someone yep. says to you, look, speak to Bob because Bob's a great company for doing X, Y, and Z. He does awesome CRM software, whatever it may be, yep. get in touch with him. And uh, obviously that's a, that's a qualified lead. Now, the, the, other, the second scenario you said that it sounds like they've already kind of gone online and they've read a review or they've seen a review and then they've got in touch that way, which is a little bit different in my personal opinion. No, no, um, it, you're not wrong. You're not wrong because I'm a, I'm a big believer in influencing the reviews to get the reviews that I want. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. But did they do it because of the money I spent there or did they do it because they were looking to hear what other people said? So, to your point, that doesn't mean I can just blindly not influence that as a marketing or a sales professional. Oh, yeah, I sure as hell better be pushing reviews and making sure there's stuff there. Um, but I need to understand that that's where they're going to go and look for validation of their choices. Okay. Well, um, yeah, we'll get back to kind of the best strategies to, to gain new business shortly. Um, so we've talked about kind of business highs. Um, should we touch on some of the lows? 
Well, the lows I talked about a little bit was when you, you don't know if you're going to make payroll, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, you yeah, lose that clients. That's right. Yes. Yeah, that makes now, sense. and I'm, I'm still sad and bitter about it. And as you bring it up, <laughs> I have a lot of bad feelings. So those are the lows when you don't know you're going to make payroll and you have to tell sure. your, 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 when you're telling your wife, listen, um, don't buy groceries just yet. <laughs> I think there's a check coming today, but don't do it. Yeah. Those are the lows. Those are the lows. That's you hard, need man. a really strong uh, partner to, to, to navigate those lows. Definitely. And that's, that's where women and uh, other, other halves are a key for keeping you, you got it. on the straight and narrow, just as I know. Um, okay, cool. And did, did you have a team on this or was this kind of more of a freelance gig? You kind of running the show yourself, being the salesman, the marketer, and the director, all under one roof or? Yeah. So the, when you're, <laughs> when you're on your own business, the answer to the latter part is yes, you do everything. Um, it started off with me. And then as we got traction, you know, clearly I built a team and the team was a a small number of employees with a much larger number of freelance contractors. So an example of that might be, you know, uh, maybe not every one of my accounts is a HubSpot or a Marketo user or Salesforce.com user. So I'm not going to have a full time employee on staff for that. I may contract those pieces out. But the funny part was I was always transparent with my prospects. I would say, you know, George is going to be part of this project. George is one of an independent contractor, but you're, but George is contracted to me. I'm contracted to you. So you still have the same throat to choke. If things don't go wrong, I'm accountable. If George messes up, not to worry about it, but I cherry pick who I want to be my salesforce.com expert. And let me tell you, George is the guy I've saved you the heartache. of trying to figure that out. And I never got any pushback on that. They're always like, yep. Okay. It makes sense to me. Yeah. Do you know, Daryl, I've, I've found the exact same. I've all, I've kind of worked with guys in the past that have said that have been kind of scared when they've had um, not necessarily a huge, um, let's say for, for example, a digital agency or a software yeah. agency, whatever it may be, they've been kind of frightened or scared um, just because they're quite a small team, but they have quite a lot of freelance guys that they pull in as and when they get yep. the bigger clients. And they've been kind of scared to say, look, we've got a small team, but we've got a team of trusted freelancers that we pull in for specialist projects that we know we've used for years. Um, I've always done it. I've always been honest, transparent, and it's never been an issue for any customer, just like you say. Um, as long as the project's account managed well and handled well, then there's no dramas. And you nailed it, right? And I think the big part of that is just being transparent and honest with them because what, then they, they feel like you're not misrepresenting. You actually are being forthright. And it actually has this ironic byproduct of building the trust between vendor and client uh, because of that. So it's fantastic. Exactly. And which is, which is so key now, especially, I mean, we know customers, clients, they come and go um, I, to, to keep a customer sticky, uh, to keep them kind of with you for years and years is tricky. Um, and I, I read something recently, actually, Daryl, that it's six times more expensive to acquire a new customer than it is to keep an existing one. Yep. Um, have you got any tips for, for any business people listening or watching on how to best practices to keep a customer? How to keep a customer? Okay, how to keep a customer thing. It sounds stupid. Let me, let me, I'm going to give you the answer and then I'm going to qualify it. <laughs> the answer is you're going to go above and beyond their expectations. All right. So they, and, and, and you're going to, how do I put this? Gracefully communicate that you're doing that. All right. So by having very open, healthy, constructive, ongoing dialogue, they will understand that you are going above and beyond what they were contracted for. Now, here's the caveat. Going back to that statement of work or that project definition, the scope of work, 
you define exactly what you're delivering. So for example, if you were writing a piece of content and you said you're allowed two rounds of edits, fine. You know, maybe you do a third round or a fourth round if they're minor for free with no charge, but you kind of say, well, yeah, we can do that edit. It's, it's outside the scope of the contract, but if you just keep it to this little bit, yeah, I can make that. Don't worry about it. And then they go, oh, Daryl, you're the best. Thank you for doing that because <laughs> I didn't want to go and ask for more money. So you go, so let's go. That, that is how you keep them. The other thing is, is just being responsive. And the beauty of that is how things have changed for me when I began my agency many years ago, which is through the power of things like Slack or, or uh, Microsoft Teams, you can have real-time conversation all the time. So, you know, you don't need to respond the second the question's asked you, but if you respond, you know, within minutes or even respond to say, hey, I'm in a meeting right now, but I will respond. So I'm acknowledging you. Your clients love that. But that was a feature that wasn't available before. The other thing was, I would say, is include them in the process. Believe it or not, people think what you do is fun. They think it's cool. They wish they were you in many regards, <laughs> right? I can't tell you how many people say, oh, man, I wish I could do video like you do video. That looks like so much fun. Great. Come on in. All right. Let me show you how the process works. You know, here, let me shoot a little video for you. We'll put it up in your social media feed. You know, hey, let's do another headshot just for you. So, yeah, those are services that I might charge for. But in the same breath, I don't mind, you know, consuming some of those costs because I'm actually looking to get a much bigger engagement and to expand the scope of my engagement. So over deliver, constantly communicate, but protect yourself and making sure all the expectations are in the paperwork so that you don't get sucked into this bottomless hole of never being able to say this job is done and actually send them the bill. Awesome. And those are some absolute golden nuggets for any startups or um, kind of businesses, business leaders listening. Um, definitely the amount of work I've won just by being responsive. Um, I mean, as, as people in business, we're often kind of led to, not that I'm saying it's a bad thing, kind of the classic working eight to five or nine to five, but the amount of new business I've actually closed kind of working outside of those hours, whether that's responding to an email on my phone, um, taking a call outside hours, literally high value projects just because I was working out of hours and being responsive. So I'm not saying everyone has to be nonstop business, but I'm just saying going the extra mile, it really does help you and it will help your business grow. Um, and I've seen that personally many, many times. Um, and I'm sure you have Daryl because I'm, I'm sure you're nonstop. As well. My wife and I had more conversations. We'd be out maybe on a date on a Friday night or something or a Saturday even. Right. And I would get an email, not a Slack message, but an email from a client panicked. And I would respond right away. And she would say, listen, you're supposed to be here with me. And I would say, yeah, I know it, honey, but do you, do you want to get paid? Because, you know, I got to respond to this. And, and this is why they keep me around versus ditching me for somebody who will respond. And you're right. It, it is, you do need to have a balance. And you do need to That's set it. expectations with your prospects, your customers. Um, but when you do that, they appreciate that. So you can cherry pick, right? Not every email coming after hours deserves an immediate response. You'll read it, but some do. Even if it's just simply to say, not to worry, I've got it, we'll deal with it tomorrow. Exactly. And they feel better. So yeah. No, I think that's it. And put, putting your customers at ease, that's, that's a great yeah. point. And exactly. I, I love the points you've made about kind of communicating throughout, let them know what you're doing and if they want to get involved. Um, so yeah, some real, real nice golden nuggets there, Daryl. Okay. So yeah, you ran your company for a few years. Sounds like you've got some, some real good kind of hands-on business experience, some highs and lows that we've chatted through there. Um, what happened next? Was it around 2015 that that no, it was around, it was 2017, 2017. 2017. So, and I'm sure you're the same way when you have your own business, there's always recruiters coming knocking on your door and you're always, in my case, I was, I would always listen, 
but I was like, you know, listen, I, I, I kind of like having my own schedule and doing my own thing and, and running my own show. But in 2017, a recruiter came knocking on my door for this job here at VanillaSoft. And, uh, and, and coincidentally, it was a recruiter that had placed me many years earlier at a previous life and a previous job. <laughs> and, uh, and it was a good gig and, and he did well and I had a good experience. So with that as a setup, I told him, no, go away. And he came back to me three times. And every time I said, no, go away. And finally, the fourth time, he, he, he dropped the F-bomb on me and, 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 and said, Daryl, take this effing interview. And I'm like, why? And he goes, because you know me, I know you, and I wouldn't waste your time. I'm telling you, this is one you need to take. And I'm like, okay, fine. And so at that point in time, it was okay, fine, because this is a trusted relationship. And, uh, and I went. And uh, the best part of the story, uh, the, the examples of what not to do in an interview, but maybe examples of what to do. Uh, I remember being in, in the first interview, we're in the executive room, you know, the, the boardroom, and the table's full of, you know, VIPs and stakeholders, whoever this next CMO is going to be. And, um, and they'd ask me a zillion questions. And the beauty of not only my background, but especially having my experience as the agency, you know, they would say things like, you know, well, what, what's your, what would a 90 day plan be? Well, you know, ev literally every single client I would onboard, there was a 30, 60, 90 day plan. This is just rinse and repeat stuff. So you could answer it and it went well. And they said, do you have any questions as every interview does? And I said, yes, I do. So for those who don't know, VanillaSoft is a sales engagement platform. So that's so sales development reps can engage with their prospects very fast as many times as required in the right sequence or cadence or playbook you want to use using email and, so, uh, and, and phone and, and, and social and text and video, and whatever you want to. Uh, and it really overcomes the challenges of CRM. We compete with people like Outreach or SalesLoft, whom you may have heard of. So that's the setup because he says, are there any questions you have? Yes, I have a question for you. And I'm like, what's that? And I said, your positioning statement in 2017 was VanillaSoft. We are uh, CRM for inside sales. They did okay. not say we're a sales engagement platform. We are CRM for inside sales. And I'm like, addressing the CEO, why? Why are you a CRM? I'm curious. Do you really want to compete with salesforce.com or Dynamics? It's a big bomb and to drop. Big bomb to drop, right? And he looked at me as well, you know, it, it'll make sense. It'll make sense once you get on board and see, it'll, it'll perfectly make sense. And I'm, really? Because I don't think it makes sense to me. And, uh, and so we had this back and forth, a little bit of tension in the room, right? And then I said, okay, you know, fair enough. I asked the question. I got my answer. Great enough. And I asked a few more questions. And then the interview was over. And I leave. I get a call 20 minutes later from the recruiter. He's like, what do you think? What do you think, Daryl? Did I, was, was I wrong? And I'm like, no. Uh, I said, I think that was a, a waste of time because clearly the CEO and I, we bumped heads and this is not going to be a fit. And he says to me, Daryl, you're the first and only prospect we've brought in who actually pushed back and this is a oh, wow. c-level they want this is a c-level job they're not hiring a marketing manager they want an executive to challenge them they loved you and i'm like boom <laughs> amazing culture fit right so we i knew what i i didn't they i was transparent with who i was and what i what, what i needed and they were willing to give me the money to run so, you know, once we establish things like, well, what's my budget? What's my staff? What's the, how are you going to measure my success? What are the timelines? How much freedom and control do I have? And their response is we measure you on outcomes. 
and, I, and you know, you do you. If we knew how to do your job, best answer ever, if we knew how to do your job, we wouldn't be hiring you. Clearly, we don't know how to do your job well. We have these goals and expectations. You hit them, you do you. And I was like, boom, I'm in. So that meant me closing the business. And it was really because I could see it again. I could see the opportunity. This is going to be as big as marketing automation was, you know, 10 years earlier. A lot of people made a lot of money in that process. So I love this kind of a high tech run. I've done this. I've done this with database when database went through a cycle. I did this in the turn of the century when supply chain was the biggest thing going. You know, I, I, I missed the mark on marketing automation because I have my own agency going on, but I was all part of that. I used, I saw it. And this was the next big wave. And I'm like, I got to be in the wave. I got to be in the wave. So that's what I did. Nice. And um, no, that's great because I'm sure a lot, of, a lot of people going for that interview, especially when you're speaking to C-level execs, would almost be quaking in their boots. Not, not necessarily literally shaking, but just kind of thinking they've got to give the perfect answer. And I love that you kind of disrupted it and um, kind of questioned what they were doing. And, well, uh, what I've learned over the years is if you're not happy with your job, then why get up in the morning? You got to like what you do. And the only way to make sure you're going to be happy with your job is to interview them as hard as they're interviewing you and ask them the hard questions. And if you don't like the answers, like a sales deal where you can't come to deal on a price, you walk away. And that took a lot of time for me to figure out. And, but once, once I figured that out, life became much easier. Sounds like you've been speaking to a, a certain special sales trainer that uh, is coming on the show in a couple of weeks from, from those kind of words as well. <laughs> All right, there you go. Cool. Okay, excellent. So that's leading up right, right from the start in terms of kind of your business life up into the present day. Thanks very much for running us through that, Dale. Um, it's it's no been problem. good to learn. So yeah, let's, let's get into the back in, stuck into kind of helping businesses grow, talking about digital marketing. Um, in terms of digital marketing channels, what do you recommend that any business today needs to be tapping into from your okay. perspective? So that's, I mean, how much time have we got? Because this, <laughs> this could be an all-day conversation. Let me tell you a couple of things that we did here at Vanilla Soft that worked really, really well. But we did them because I thought they were the right channels. And I'll tell you the mistakes I made and what I would do differently. Great. Um, so I mentioned Vanilla Soft. We're in a hot space. That's why I came here. Um, both my competitors, Sales Loft and Outreach, had at the time ballpark, total ballpark, raised around $250 million U.S. dollars each we had raised none. So how do I compete with a company who's got better brand and a lot more money so they can outspend me, they can outflank me, they can outstaff me, they can pay to play everywhere, they can own every report, how do I compete? Well, that's the question every single one of you face when you're trying to build your business, all right? You're on a limited budget and what, do I, what can I do to become, you know, at least part of the conversation. Oh, you need to consider sales loft, uh, outreach and vanilla soft. I'm part of the conversation. Uh, we did it a couple different ways. And if you're not doing this, you're missing out a really big opportunity. The number one thing we did was we made just a boatload of content. All right. SEO optimized, checking all the content, making sure it was topical, but building content on its own while it's great for your SEO, maybe growing your organic traffic. It's wasted if you're not getting it in front of the people who need to see it. So okay. the second part we did was we did a ton on social media. 
Got Social just media. to jump in very quickly, Daryl, yeah, SEO, SEO for anyone listening is search engine optimization, which is basically the practice of, it's a long-term strategy to get your website to the page one of Google's organic results. So not the paid listings at the top or bottom, but all that juicy bit in between the organic listing. So I carry on, my friend. No, no, you're spot on. The second thing we did, and I'll come back to the social media because that's a longer conversation, but to build out SEO, search engine optimization, you're right. So growing your organic reach. So you're appear number one versus on page 42. Uh, the second thing is we invested heavily and diversified our campaigns and pay-per-click. So SEM, search engine marketing, right? So things like Google or Bing and ultimately retargeting. So you go to a website and then no matter where you go for the next two weeks or two months, <laughs> that damn website's ad follows you everywhere. Um, and what I will tell you is this, is that pay-per-click was been, to this day remains my most expensive lead. Now I'm not saying you're going to have these costs, but I probably average on average $350 per click. All right. So most people can get away with $350. Remember I told you it was a hot space and they have lots of money. When everybody's throwing their money into the hot space, the pay-per-click cost drives up very fast. And is this specifically for kind of the software that Vanilla Soft are in? This is for, yes, the sales and engagement. Like you got it. And that, is that the current cost per click? That's my average cost per click. Whoa. Right. I'm guessing your acquisition is, is kind of significantly higher to justify that. It, well, <laughs> we have low churn and we have a good lifetime average value. So we, we recoup those costs once we close the deal within the year. And then year two onward is all gravy. But you know, that is the average cost per click. Now, most people, you might be 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks in a cost per click, right? Depending sure. on how competitive it is. But that was mine. Now, the best part of pay-per-click though, even though it's high, is think about it. Someone might say, you know, best sales engagement 2020. What they're communicating in that when the ad pops up and they click through is a significant amount of intent. They're they're, they actually probably have a project that they're trying to shortlist for and get some research on. There's a lot of intent implied in their search terms. So yes, we spent a lot of money there. We didn't, and we literally doubled our monthly spend over the course of a year as we saw more and more success. So first we refined it, we broke it down, we brought our spend way down, we figured out what campaigns were working, what wasn't working. And then as we had success, we kept on getting more and more and more money to get more and more and more success. Until we got to a point where we said, okay, at this point in time, the incremental spend really isn't getting as a linear return. So we're just going to call it stops right here. So that so was number one. Who paid ads, did you? We, we pulled it back 90%. We still had a little bit running. All right. And then, and then we redid all of our campaigns, all of our keywords, all of our targeting, and then we rebuilt it again. So you know, we did the exact same here just to jump in at web choice. Um, we were running paid ads, but the cost per acquisition was so high. Um, purely because we're so well found in terms of our SEO positioning for our core services. Uh, we completely pull paid ads. It just wasn't. Yes. Worth. So um, I've heard a lot of companies doing the same, but going back to intent. Um, now I agree that Google ads pay-per-click can, can kind of be high intent, but I read a lot. Um, I've read a lot over the years that kind of people are becoming more and more wary. Although Google have recently changed the way that the listings presented of what's an ad and what's an organic listing. Now, obviously, this only applies to tech-savvy people, um, but a lot of people know to click through to miss the paid ads and click into the organic because they kind of place more trust in the brands yep. that rank organically. Would you agree? I would agree, and I'll come back to that in a second because that's exactly how I do it, too. I do it for two reasons. 
uh, I know a paid ad, you know, an ad at the top of your page or the side banner, whatever, it's going to bring me to probably a landing page that's just specific to the search term I use, which I appreciate what they're trying to do. But often I don't want to be so tightly controlled on what I'm seeing. I want to see the whole website. I want to see all their messaging. Uh, the other part in the marketing me is I don't want them to pay for a click when I can scroll down a little bit and just get the organic result because, you know, I'm sense I know I'm, I watch my budget. So let me reward their organic and save that money. That's how I do. I think a lot of people are already doing that too, but you're right. It's, it is, it's expensive. A lot of people are pulling it and, and to say, we actually went a lot higher ultimately. And then we pulled back again. We said, okay, that's not working. And we got the right amount. So pay-per-click okay. was huge for intent. Number one for digital. Now going back to the social media stuff, I said, make a lot of content, but yes, you want to make sure it's indexed for what's hot. So you can use, you know, tools like BuzzSumo, for an example, or SEM Rush as an example, and other tools to help find okay. out what are the right buzzwords, et cetera. Um, but then what we did was we went on social. Now, this is where we really started hitting home runs. So we had, remember I mentioned we said, oh, we have all this content, we have takes. We have to get it out there in front of people. Historically, what you would have done is you would have said, I'm putting my website and Google will crawl it, search it in optimization, and I'll get some matches, and that'll be good. Or I'll do an email blast. But I can't, email is not what it used to be because of GDPR and all these other stuff. So I can't just blast 50,000 people now. They have to opt in. Exactly. So my, e yeah, my email blast as a, as a channel really shrunk. So social is where I went. Because here's the thing. My two competitors who raised $250 million, when they're posting on social, I'm posting on social, we're spending the exact same thing. Zero. Zero dollars to post. <laughs> and when you say that, are you talking LinkedIn? Are you talking Twitter? Are you talking Facebook? All the above. Now, okay. our emphasis for us in our case, our audience primarily lives on LinkedIn. But for you, your audience may live on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or some combination. You know? so, and we're everywhere and we treat them all. But we know LinkedIn is really where our audience lives. So we give that channel extra love and attention. And is that because you're B2B or? Yeah, it's because we're B2B. Absolutely because okay. we're B2B. You got it. Cool. Um, but the thing about social was this, it, it, you know, because lots of people will say this. Well, Daryl, we make content and, or I post and I get no engagement. It's not worked for us at all. So I cry BS when you say social works. Okay, so it's not that you're doing it wrong, but you know, you're kind of doing it wrong. And let me explain what I mean by that, okay? The thing about social is you have, to, you have to build up your street cred like anything else. So what we did for the first few months as we approached that digital channel is we said, who are the players here, right? So when I started there, you know, a lot of my own personal LinkedIn connections were marketers. But, but my primary audience at, at VanillaSoft are sales reps. So I didn't have a lot of street cred with that audience. I didn't know who the speakers were. So you start looking around and see other posts that get a lot of traction. You look for hashtags, hash sales, or hash B2B, or whatever it might be, right? And, and it, so it takes you a few months to really kind of get the lay of the land. And you start to see some names appear over and over again. You start to see who, in, which individuals just get a gazillion comments and engagement and debate wherever other ones are silent. And you go, okay, aha. Now I know the players. Shortcut, by the way, you want to figure out the shortcut? Good starting place, always go to the Amazon bestsellers list. So in my case, maybe sales trainers, sales coaches, and go, who are the top 10 sales you know, authors? Boom, get out and follow them right away because chances are they have a good following. So 
Nice. Look who's speak. Look who's speaking at various trade shows in your industries. Because again, those people are often there to speak. The, the the keynoters, the big names, because they draw the audience to the show. Chances are those people have a lot of followers. I like those, that idea. So, so that yeah. would that be to so let's say let's get out of digital for a sec. Let's say I'm in the construction industry, and let's say that there was a show coming up all about construction, um, and there was top ten speakers all all across the globe coming to let's say London. Um, are we are we basically looking on Amazon, finding out who they are? then or on the trade show website, then going over to LinkedIn, searching for them and then checking out their content or what we're we doing to. It's, it's exactly what we're doing. It could be LinkedIn, could be in your example, construction, maybe that's more Instagram or Pinterest sure. um, uh, or maybe even Facebook, who knows? Get looking, seeking them out, uh, stalking them. And then you start off by physically, in some cases you have to follow them first. Others you don't have to, like Twitter, you don't have to. Um, and, and you start commenting gently on 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 their posts just so your name is a name they see like anything else it's going to take them 5 10 15 20 times of seeing your name before they finally start to remember them yeah at one point in time when it makes sense you connect with them in a personalized way send a connection request you know hey sam loved your post when you talked about that made me laugh out loud i've uh, been following you for a while but i'd love to keep on you know following you you know here's my connection request so they have context so that you've made the effort they see that um and then this is what I always tell people what you do with social. Here's where the rubber starts to meet the road. When the time is right and you've done enough posts and you've engaged, you wait for that one post they make where you only partially agree. And then you, you, you are the badass, bold individual who goes out there when everybody else is saying, yeah, atta boy, love it, more of that. You get up there and you say, well, I agree with point A and point B you're making, but I actually disagree with point C, and this is why. So you're, you're actually, there's a little bit of conflict there, but it's delivered respectfully, and you're having a take. Now, two things are going to happen when you do this. The first thing always blows people away because they don't think about it, which is this. If you disagreed, you said A and B was good, but C you disagree with, there's a gazillion people out there who are afraid to comment who have the same reaction that you had. So when you post that, they're going to follow the leader. You're the bad boy who broke the ice. They're going to follow you and go, yeah, actually, Sam, I agree with you. I don't agree with C either. <laughs> and then the original poster is going to see, you know, amongst all the, the out of boys, this one conversation emerging, and they're going to jump in. They're going to say, well, Sam, actually, this is why I said C, but I hear your point. Whatever. Now, so that's two things that happen. So now you've got, the, you've got their attention. You drew their attention, and now this is what you do. You reach out either a direct message or on a phone or an email, and you say, yo, really highly influential individual. That was a really cool conversation. We seem to really struck a, a, a bone and a chord on that conversation. Why don't you and I do a live stream or a webinar or a podcast or a video where we talk about this and we'll have a back and forth? And by the way, I'll do it all. I'll get registrations. I'll do the promotion. You just show up. I know you're busy. And when I'm done, I'll send you all my registrations. And you get 100, 200, 500, 1,000 leads that cost you nothing. And they go, I'm in. They always go, I'm in. You may have to work around their schedule, but they always go, I'm in. And so now you went from being a nobody to now you're having a live debate or discussion with this individual who's got a gazillion million people following him and all these eyeballs 
And if he's taking time to, to hang out with you and debate with you and laugh with you, all these followers go, who the hell is Daryl and why am I not following him? And then, and then it's just rinse and repeat. And you do this, your social media traction goes through the roof. That's exactly what we did. And then you watch your, your webinars and whatnot because you're working with all these thought leaders. You go from having 100 people to having 300 people to having 500 people to having 1,000 people. And guess what? The cost, again, to make that was zero. Awesome. So content with social media, but social media done well. And pay-per-click SEO marketing was it. Now, the one mistake I made was SEO, search engine optimization. I didn't give it enough love. And after about a year and a half, I said, I'm kicking myself in the ass because I wasn't, I was getting outranked by people. I shouldn't be getting outranked at when people did search. So I went back and invested heavily in SEO for us. We make sure that our website, we're religious. We're all over every month. I actually pay somebody out of the Philippines chump change, just a set number of hours a month. And all he does for that small little chump change, he makes sure my site is optimal. The load time is great. It displays properly on mobile. There's no broken links. There's no toxic links. There's no, and just by doing that, just making sure it is a super healthy website, Google puts you up way high. The second thing we did was we started working really hard to get articles submitted to uh, domain, other domains, websites with authority or some authority to get the okay. backlinks. Those two things we saw our organic become our number one source. And again, organic is pretty cheap. So organic SEO, uh, pay-per-click SEM, content and social media are all the digital channels that we use. And there's one other digital channel that is a secret sauce. You talked about it already, was reviews. We uh -huh. invested heavily in reviews. And there's ways around this because you can't aim the system per se, but you can influence it. All right, so sites like Google or G2 or Capterra or Trust Radius, they all have review engines. And what we would do is we periodic poll our users and we do the NPS, the Net Promoter Score, which is really saying on a scale of one to 10, how likely are you to recommend VanillaSoft? And what we said, if they gave us like a seven, eight, nine, or 10, we would follow up a week or two later with a personal request and said, hey, if you would write a review for us, we will send you an Amazon gift card. Okay. You can say whatever you want to say. We have no editorial control. Just show us proof that you did a review and we're going to give you this gift card. Now, I'm not asking those who submitted a one, two, three, four, or five who hate us. I'm asking those who kind of like us. And nine times out of 10, they leave a kind of pretty good review. So... Reviews are great because people use reviews in two ways. They use it to start the shortlist. Who are the top vendors I should be evaluating? And then they're later on in the middle to bottom of the funnel is, okay, we're thinking of hooking up with these guys. Are they really good? Do the users really like them? What surprises should I expect if I ink this deal? So that's the beauty of reviews. And then ironically, reviews actually do have a good impact on your SEO organic search rankings. Those are the digital channels I would recommend. Pace yourself. We paced ourselves. Uh, pick what your budget can afford. So you don't have to do pay-per-click. You don't have to do SEO. But you can do content and just social media, you know, promotion. And your phone is a wonderful video camera. Don't be afraid to use it. Well said. Okay. Now, there's some, there's some, some valuable little nuggets in there. And uh, I especially like the social one. 
Um, I like to call it kind of throwing a spanner in the works. And that's what yes. I've never actually kind of heard of. And I love the fact that, like you say, so many people are kind of scared to actually speak their voice on social. Um, maybe that's because they're thinking of starting a business and they don't want to kind of scare their current employer or they think if they do something, they're going to get trolled for the next 10 years. Or they just think, like, if I do this, it's going to damage my reputation when in real life people have forgotten about it by tomorrow. Um, but like yeah. you say, you could gain a whole bunch of followers and you could gain the attention of uh, someone you're actually trying to do some business with. So it's... And the other part I said was do it respectfully. Like, I, dis- I disagreed with you respectfully. I like A and B. I don't like C. And this is why, blah, blah, blah. What do you think? Yeah. Right? That's not rude but you're saying what nobody else wants to say, you know? So awesome. you, st- you stand out from the crowd. <laughs> and would you say that LinkedIn is your personal favorite digital marketing channel? Oh yeah. It's, it's, it it's my personal favorite by far because I just love the tribe, right? I can get up there and I can, I can share. I've had a bad day or I can share, you know, can you believe somebody sent me this email? What were they thinking? Let me help you out here. Poor, poor, poor misguided individual who thought this email was a good idea. And let me explain to you, the rest of my tribe, why this is a bad idea. Don't do this email. Many of you do. Stop it. Uh, or I can get out there and I can say, hey, I had a great chat with this individual or that individual. Let me share with you what they said to me, right? So if I was watching, you know, this conversation right now, I would say I watched Sam and Daryl talk and there was three highlights that really jumped out at me, A, B, and C. You know, what do you think? By the way, if you want to watch the whole, you know, conversation, here's a link to it simple easy peasy you're having to take that's what i like about linkedin it's very community oriented that way that's it and like you say you can get a huge organic reach on linkedin um, when you start putting out some decent content you got it you can you can tap into some free leads some free visibility and some free networking so it's, it's great for anyone that wants to pick up some new business that's awesome um okay um Daryl, we, we're getting close to time, but for anyone that's kind of just started a new business or is, is thinking about starting up a business, have you got any tips for, for them on what they should be doing in terms of marketing and sales and things? Oh my. Okay. So when you're starting a new business, your biggest thing is going to be cash flow, right? We all know that you got to get new customers and you can only have so much money. Often the mistake everybody makes is that they hold back on their spend. All right. And I would tell you this much, you need to, you need to dedicate a fixed amount of money to pay yourself. It may not be what you're worth. Trust me. It may be a pittance. You know, if you make 50 K a year, maybe you're only paying yourself 20 K. You got to pay yourself minimum, right? Second part is you've got to invest in your business. All right. So that means if you've got certain numbers you've got to hit in, in your game plan about how many customer acquisition and revenue flow that you are allocating, you know, 3%, 5%, whatever towards marketing promotion. Most people don't because they view that as a superfluous spend, right? I can't afford it at the beginning, but if nobody knows who you are, if nobody knows recognizes your brand, you're never going to get those clients. The biggest risk you're going to face when you're launching a company is people's perception that you represent risk. You're brand new. Who are you? I don't know. I don't want to give you money. And then the next day you're out of business. So you have to establish your own street cred. Uh, third thing is, if you don't know this already, you kiss your life goodbye. You're going to be just <laughs> working non-freaking stop for the first year or two or three. Um, so you better love what you're doing and you better be able to multitask. Fourth, if you have difficulty multitasking or you're just a driver, 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 
you may want to look at, you know, some economic options like a virtual assistant to help you out with a lot of those administrative tasks. They're worth their weight in gold. Um, five, maximize every minute. So if you're in a taxi from point A to point B, grab your phone, do a video, post it on social media because that's time that you've not wasted or, or get on social media and respond or whatever it might be. Maximize your time. And then uh, the last thing I would say is for all those who are in your, in your life, your loved ones, your family, your kids, whatever it might be, you know, tell them in advance what's going to happen and make sure they're on board because if they're not prepared to support you in this for whatever reason, however noble and admirable, they just love you. They want to make sure you're around. If they're not going to support you, then you're going to find it's not going to succeed because in the end you're going to have to make a choice. And I think 95 out of hundred people will choose their family and their loved ones with their business every day. So don't be misguided. Make sure everybody goes in eyes wide open. That's top of my head. Awesome, man. Love those points. Now, um, we had a couple questions come in from the uh, kind community on LinkedIn. The first one's slightly comical. Um, we've had Stephen Lee Rachel. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. What do you think about Benjamin D, the UK's most hated sales trainer? We had to drop him in. Um, and also, what do you think about Canadian salespeople? All right. So Benjamin Dennehy, whom I love. I, I've got his cup. I, I've got his shirt. I've got his red hat. He sent it all to me. I did a video recently wearing all that gear. Um, we've done multiple live debates like I just talked about in my example. Uh, and he kicked my ass in one of those debates. That was on Descript or not Descript, but I, I, oh, really? I gave it a good, I gave it a good, uh, I wouldn't say kick my ass, but he certainly, <laughs> I, I would give him the edge. Um, he did, he's a, He's an amazing individual and knows his craft very well. Here's what I'll say to you about Benjamin. Benjamin and I have a lot of respect for each other. We, uh, we laugh. We always socialize together. We're in the, we're in the same neck of the woods. Um, despite what you might think, Benjamin is a wuss and a teddy bear. And when he's not on social media, he's actually just a great average everyday bloke. And you just want to hug him and just go, you know, drink some pints with him. He's actually a really good guy. Don't let his bluster fool you. He's a wuss. Okay. Beyond Dude, that. Bro, it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It really is. Uh, but he, but yeah, he doesn't hold back on, on, on his public persona. That's for sure. Um, what I think about Canadian sales, Canadian sales has gotten so much better. Not that we were bad, but just so much better um, as the world's become a smaller and smaller village. Um, but we still suffer from being a proper, you know, polite member of the commonwealth and when you know we in canada who are just the hat on top of the united states on the global map are competing often in the u.s market we still hesitate to be as bold and as aggressive and as assertive as yeah. they are that was so the one thing i was going to ask i was going to say yes. aren't canadian people too um too nice too kind too polite? they're too nice right which is ironic because when Canadians are talking to Canadians, we don't have any problem, you know, throwing the gloves down like a good hockey game and, and you know, making sure our point is heard. But when we're out, you know, with uh, public facing, we're polite and we're nice. And we're getting better at that. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm blessed because I was raised on the Detroit border. So I was kind of raised as a, as a, let's call it a bold American. I didn't know what it meant to be a quiet, polite Canadian until I went to university. So, you know, I, I can go both ways but most canadians are just they're not aggressive enough they're not bold enough and when you are aggressive and bold you can you're, you're world class because your knowledge your insights your innovation and your capabilities are second to none we're blessed with a great healthcare system a great educational system and just you know we're you know we're we're lucky we're lucky to live here where we live 
I just wish they were a little more bold. <laughs> I think you could say the same about the British, though. Really, Daryl. I mean, we're. We, I, I think would, you can. Yes. I would say, as a nation, we're kind of too polite, and uh, that's been my experience. But not in the pub. Once you're in the pub, then you oh, let no, it loose. No, so you're days, like us. Sure. Yes, we're the same way. <laughs> cool, man. So one more quickly. Naraj Kapoor, he said, with lots of tension between sales and marketing teams, how can they work better together? So Naraj is a kick-ass sales trainer. He's a best-selling author. Check him out. I love Naraj. How can sales and marketing work together? It's really simple. They, have, they need to have a unified view of the objective. So sales and marketing, everybody's in sales. And I mean that with sincerity, including marketing. Get together. What are our revenue goals? How will I help? How will you help? Then let's have a service level agreement. If I make a lead and give it to you and it meets your lead definitions, you need to commit to when you're going to respond. And if you're not going to do it within that time frame, there needs to be consequences and, and, and you need to be accountable. So I will give you better leads. I will react. I will respond to you. You need to hold up your end of the bargain. One definition of a lead, one sales service level agreement on how we both work together, one shared goal, could be revenue, could be new customers, but we're in this game together. If you do not have that, those conversations and you do not meet weekly to review progress against those objectives, you will be misaligned. But if you do all that, then let's go drinking. I think you're going to struggle with that one definition of elite from my experience anyway. That's, that's Sometimes a- you do. Some, that's why you got to have the conversation. Awesome, man. Okay. Well, uh, no, it's been an absolute pleasure. And what I like to ask my guests at the end of every, every single show, Daryl, is if you could thank just one person, dead or alive, for having a positive influence on your life and your career so far, who would that be and why? Hmm. My goodness. That's a a positive, that is a tough one. No one's ever asked me that question before. Um, you know, this is going to sound cliche. I'm going to say my wife and it's not that she's had necessarily a positive impact on my career. My wife is an interior designer. She is like in a completely different world from I am. But my wife has indulged me. My wife has never stopped believing in me. She thinks I'm stupid when I do videos and she rolls her eyes at me. But she believes in me. So if I say I need to do a stupid video that makes me look like a moron, she's like, okay, you be you. If that's what you think is going to work. And uh, so, you know, just knowing that you have permission chase your dreams and and that they have faith in you even when you sometimes don't have faith in yourself um it's like you've got permission and that's that's huge that's a solid choice and uh let's let's hope she listens in (laughs) she won't be i can guarantee that she just rolls her eyes but that's nice yeah mine's much the same cool man all right awesome so thanks very much for for coming on daryl um just before we go how can people connect with you how can people connect with your business tell us a bit more all right, so if you need a sales engagement platform, just go to VanillaSoft.com. Check it out. Trial is free, so there's no strings attached. If it's not for you, totally get it. Respect, but I hope you find what you need because the platform, the software, the industry is making a difference. That's that plug there. To reach me personally, lots of ways you can reach me. Go to DarylPrail.com. On Twitter, you can find me under the handle Opinionated. That's O-H-P-I-N-I-O-N, the number eight, T-E-D. But then most frequently, you can always find me on LinkedIn. Just do a search for Daryl Prell on LinkedIn. And uh, please don't hesitate. Connect. I would love, love to continue this conversation on any platform of your choice. Thank you, sir. Everyone, you've been listening to Sam's Business Growth Show, where we interview business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. The show is sponsored by webchoiceuk.com, results-driven digital marketing, SEO, web, and mobile applications. Daryl, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, man. 
Thank you.